0: hi everyone um, and welcome to Lifecast, a podcast about founders and creators behind products that help to enrich our everyday lives i'm your host savs and this week i'm lucky enough to be chatting to the lovely billy quinlan co-founder of furley a femtech app built by women for women to explore pleasure and sexual well-being since quitting corporate London in 2017, Billy learned how to code and was accepted onto the company building programme Zinc VC. This is where she met her co-founder Anna and Fernie was born. It emerged through their own experience of sexual assault and the fact that they could see there was a clear unmet need to address women's sexual well-being. As a result, they created a space where sexuality, female empowerment and pleasure no longer need to be taboo subjects. Would you say that's about right, Billy?
1: In a few sentences,
0: <laughs> my whole life. <laughs> well, I reduced you to a paragraph. That's exactly. Not, that's not fair. I've been using fairly for the last couple of weeks, and really, really enjoying it. So, congrats on everything that you've built so far. Thank you, and I'm glad you've been getting a little extra pleasure in your life. Yeah, absolutely. What else are we meant to be doing in lockdown? Um, <laughs> have you seen like a bit of a rise in in number of subscribers since uh, since March?
1: Yeah, we have actually. May was a really big peak. We saw around a 65% increase in downloads, and considering we don't do any marketing at the moment, we do no paid marketing, no kind of growth initiatives, that was really big for us. A
0: lot of people have described fairly to me before I met you as a sexual wellbeing coach, and I think there's a lot of emphasis on the sex, but I actually really like it that you mentioned pleasure, because I feel like that's slightly different. Would you say there's a bit of a nuance between the two? Definitely,
1: definitely. Our broad, big mission is to achieve gender equality. That's what Anna and I are super passionate about, and we are doing that. We are making our contribution through the world of sexual wellbeing. So we see gaps. There's the pay gap, the wage gap, sort of later life inequality, financial gap. Uh, And there's another gap, which is the orgasm gap. And that is the heterosexual men have more orgasms than women, and heterosexual women. And that's sort of the big gap that we talk about when we talk about sexual wellness. But that we find that really problematic and actually we like to define it as the pleasure gap. So again, it's broader than just sex. And the reason we do this and the reason we our offering is broader than sex and does focus on pleasure more holistically is because... As a society, we've become so goal orientated. Mm. Everything in our in our lives at the moment is about optimization and focus and goals and achievement, and it's all driving us towards this kind of higher purpose. And that, when we talk about sex, is an orgasm. Mm. Which, if you focus on an orgasm, especially for a woman, you're less likely to have an orgasm. So yes. it totally works against you. So you have. These women who are trying to increase their sexual pleasure and their experience, and they see the orgasm as the pinnacle moment of that, Mm. Uh, and then therefore they put a huge amount of pressure and stress on it, and anxiety, and it's very much through the male gaze and the male experience of sex, and therefore women are experiencing less pleasure because of that. So we like to talk about the pleasure gap in Furley, the app we focus a lot more holistically than just sex itself, the physical act of sex, Mm -hmm. and focus much more on the mental and emotional journey that we go on and really engaging our mind so that we can experience pleasure more Mm. broadly and redefine what sex is for us and just take away the kind of focus and orgasm. So yeah, that is, there's definitely a distinction between sex and pleasure, and and we emphasize that a lot in Furley
0: definitely I know I I think one of the first things I was recommended was like this body mapping exercise Mm. which is really interesting because I I guess so much of sex is about getting out of your own head and I think just learning to enjoy and appreciate the skin that you're in I think Mm. um there's there's like the orgasm and then there's like the perfect orgasm and like the the perfect way to have sex and I guess you're you're saying there's no perfect way there's, there's like your way and there's your pleasure and it's very personal
1: Exactly, definitely, and body mapping is is such a beautiful exercise to help you just reconnect with yourself and, and come out of your mind and into your body so that you can start tuning into those senses and start to appreciate that body that you've got and what it's going to do for you. And our tagline is your audio guide to mindful sex and uh, mindfulness having mindfulness is having its moment yeah. right now so it's catchy and people understand what that means but actually it's rooted in science and research and that is something that we are incredibly passionate about or fairly and heavily prioritize everything that we do has to be has to come from some sort of science or some evolving research and evidence in this space and mindfulness cognitive behavioral therapy is being pioneered by some of the leading sexual wellness kind of practitioners and academics across the world as a tool to help people achieve more pleasure and overcome these sort of sexual difficulties and so when we think about sexual difficulties it's a little bit hard to it's a bit conceptual but for men that's a sort of erectile dysfunction is how it right. sort of manifests itself yep. but when it's for women no one really understands what that is or that We even have them because we never talk about them. There's no language or conversation about them. But actually not being able to achieve an orgasm is a sexual difficulty. Mm. And mindfulness cognitive behavioural therapy is a solution to overcome that. And it's the first time that we're actually bringing, not we specifically, Furley, yes, but also as a society are bringing that solution forward for women in an accessible way beyond just sort of expensive
0: therapy. And why do you think there's such a stigma, I guess, about talking about sex, talking about pleasure and I guess like female female pleasure as well It's so systemic
1: and it's such a social issue and it's come from generations and generations of kind of the scripts around what sex is and what role men and women play in that and I think that a really controversial but interesting way of, of thinking about this is the idea of sex work and There's such negativity around sex work and this idea that women should get paid for sex. There's either this sort of saviour complex, which is women are only doing it because they are damsels in distress. Or um, they're just whores, right? Right. But the idea that a woman can make money off her sexuality is so horrendous for us. But the idea that we can objectify women so much and sell their bodies and sell their sexualities for capitalism is totally fine and totally palatable. That's so interesting. I think and it's a very extreme example, but I think it just highlights the difference between women as sexual beings and being able to enjoy their sexuality and own it versus women being objects of the male desire. And I think it feeds into the fundamental difficulty around why female pleasure is taboo. We're just not, haven't been, Today, willing to accept that women want pleasurable sex, we have all these narratives around it being in service of men, in service of procreation. And you know, the hilarious thing about that is we have a clitoris with eight thousand nerve endings, which right. is literally for pleasure. Literally. So it's not—it's not common knowledge. It's only in the '90s that we've properly mapped the clitoris and had a, had an understanding of it. And you know, most of us, when we think of the clitoris, we think about this little key-shaped right. nub at the at the tip of our vulva. <laughs> And it's actually this a huge wishbone yeah. shape, yeah. And it's got so many more pleasure sensations than the penis. So why we're not shouting about that and exploring that? Also just really cements this idea that female pleasure is taboo. We don't, as
0: a scientist, want women to fully understand the power
1: of it and like
0: the pleasure that they can get from it. Yeah. I guess one of the things that, that I was thinking about the other day when I opened the app was that there's a risk sometimes when talking about sex, you can dumb it down or um, get too technical and, and not involve yourself in the pleasure side of it. How did you come up with the the copy that, that you use for kind of the audio guides for Furley? I'm super curious mm. about it. There's a couple of ways that
1: we've approached this. So as I said, science and research and evidence is hugely important yeah. to us. So, and Anna comes from, Anna's my co-founder. She comes from an academic background, um, spent 10 years in academia, did her masters, did her PhD um and one of her biggest frustrations was the fact that science didn't get doesn't get communicated very well and all this incredible research happens and then just lives in these kind of theses in these books on shelves in <laughs> these educational institutions and she's like it's so mad that all this incredible work is being done but it never reaches the everyday individual and if mm. it does it doesn't reach it in a way that is accessible exactly yeah, yeah. So, so our number one sort of guiding principle was everything at Furley has to be rooted in science, but it has to be translated in a way that feels really accessible. And then to your point, sex is either really medicalized and it's about disease prevention and procreation and it's yeah. all around sexual health and that's how we think about sexual health. Or it's really objectified and hypersexualized and it's all about eroticism and being super sexual. And that leaves no space in the middle for someone, the everyday person. I just wanna enjoy myself a little bit more. Right. I just wanna have a bit more pleasure. I just want to feel a bit more comfortable in my body. <laughs> I don't want to feel like if there's like really medical issue that's with me, or that I'm like some fucking sex pest on the other side. So the second kind of guiding principle for us was how do we be a bit, how do we be just the how do we be your sort of guiding sister, your older, accessible sister you yeah. Gives you the facts, won't give you bullshit, cosmopolitan style (laughs) information, but will give it to you in a way that you feel totally relates to where you are in your life and feels much more about kind of health and self-care. So those are the two guiding principles for us. I mean, when we think about our copy and our branding and how we put Furley out in the world is, yeah, it needs to feel like someone that you can trust, someone that you're close to, someone that won't give you bullshit, but will also make it accessible and fun and exciting yeah. rather than super sexual
0: and you met your co-founder anna on zinc social innovation company builder how did foley come about how did you meet each other and how did you know that this relationship would be like a great co-founding one for you a marriage a great marriage.
1: Great yeah. marriage. <laughs> one that we work on all the time yeah anna and i met on zinc as you said zinc the first cohort of zinc the mission of the program was to build businesses that would address the mental and emotional well-being of women and girls. And that spoke to Anna and I for very individual reasons, having not known each other before. But it just really moved us and compelled us to apply. But when we were on the program, we both felt quite let down by the content at the beginning, because it focused on the full kind of pillars of a woman's health, mental and emotional health we had all these incredible spe- um, experts come to speak to us from schizophrenia all the way to childbirth and everything in between. But not a single person came to speak to us about sex and sexuality. And it just felt like this huge pillar of our well-being, the third pillar alongside our mental health and our physical health, was just being totally disregarded and completely left out of the conversation. And I think, as you said in, my, in the introduction, Anna and I both survivors of sexual assault and sexual violence. And so for the two of us, we have very kind of first-hand knowledge of the link between your sexuality and your overall health. Yeah. And so for it to be left out, we were just like two very angry, passionate women at lunch (laughs) one day, slamming our fists on the table, chatting about this, and we just thought, oh, God's sake, fuck it, we'll do it. If no one else is going to talk about it, and this is a journey that we ha- ourselves have gone on and is still going on because there is no solution and if nothing else comes from it we'll learn a little bit along the way and maybe we'll develop a better relationship to our sexuality and that has definitely happened and we've also managed to support over 30,000 women in 63 countries and growing so... 63 yeah.
0: wow it's amazing! Really. yeah and one woman in Saudi Arabia! It, it goes to show that you just you don't know who you're going to reach, but yeah. if you've got this kind of guiding principle, this mission, people will be attracted to that. And, and, and I guess that's what you're saying. Did you set out to build a sexual wellbeing solution when you started singing?
1: No, gosh, no. I actually um, struggle with IBS. And so I went onto the programme uh, and I just trained as a health coach focusing on food. So I went into the programme thinking I was going to build something around food and better women's better relationship with food. And actually, it's really interesting because food plays a massive role in your sexuality, because body image plays a massive role in your sexuality. And so we actually work with an intuitive dietitian who creates programmes for us for the app. So we're about to release an intuitive eating programme that will live in the app. So Mm -hmm. to your previous point around, this is so much more than just the physical act of sex, it is really looking at a very holistic approach to how you as a woman feel in your body, the sense of self that you have, your self-confidence, your self-worth. And in order to do that, we have to look at all pillars of your life. Mm. And then if we are successful in that, you'll have a better relationship to sexuality because your sexuality isn't the physical act. It's a living, breathing part of who you are. And the physical act is just one experience of that.
0: Yeah, it's like all these other bits of your life are the prelude to maybe like 30 minutes of your day. maybe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, and every day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god i don't i don't think that you know we could live it. when you were on that journey to building furley what's been the most surprising thing you learned when you were doing research
1: mm. about our users
0: either about your users or anything to do with i guess common misconceptions about women's sexuality or, mm. or, or sexual experience was there anything that kind of thought that's i didn't that's surprising or I, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a few, there's some that are quite serious and some that are a bit more playful. So one of the biggest things when we realized that we were really onto something was when we conducted our first like, major piece of research and the biggest issue that came back wasn't, I can't have an orgasm or I want to have better sex from our users, it was, am I normal? Every wow. single person came back to just saying, am I normal? Can you reassure me that I'm normal? And that was like really kind of eye-opening and overwhelming for us because that just really speaks to the total lack of knowledge that we have as a society around our sexuality, around our bodies, around our organs, around mm. everything to do with sex. And that really highlights how much our education system is failing us, but also our society is failing us because our parents are our biggest influence in our in our early relationship yeah. to sex and our sexuality. And it's not that they're deliberately doing that, but it's the taboo and shame that prevents us having these sort of open dialogues. And also, they don't know, because this is generations yeah. of knowledge gaps. Even if they um, wanted to tell their children and bring them up with a healthy relationship to it, they don't know how. So that was huge, am I normal, this big question. So that was one one the second one is around your kind of industry was around fundraising
0: oh
1: good lord <laughs> oh good lord i think that we went into it slightly naively i guess just thinking here's a huge problem everyone wants a businesses to be solving a huge problem here's this huge problem here's a really clear solution that no one's done before because uh typically, men have dominated the sort of startup ecosystem and so trying to have empathy for a female problem is challenging and sex is taboo but we're breaking that down so we're like here's a huge problem here's a fantastic solution fact and evidence fact and science well and this is it and it's oh and look here are these other companies like roman and manual who launched focused on erectile dysfunction and i think man i think Manual raised a £5 million seed round, focusing on a solution for male sexual dysfunction, which is ED. And then Roman, to date, over the last three years, have raised something like 341 million. So we were like, oh great, here's male businesses addressing the exact same issue for their demographic, raising huge amounts of money, men. yeah, funded by men. And then we went out to fundraise, and people were like, ooh, when are you building this for men? Or, ooh, women are a really small niche audience. Or, are you joking? Um, no, oh my god, no. I wish I was joking. The amount of conversations. And I thought actually those days are behind me, but I had a pitching call like three days ago. And I was talking about the solution, I was talking about the solution, talking about women, talking about our target mm. audience, and the guys were the guys on the call were like, mm-mm. And when are you gonna expand to men? And I said, actually isn't our roadmap. Our primary solution right now is for women, but it's a really easy transition to men. And their faces just lit up. They were like, oh, thank goodness. thank goodness!" Because I thought you were going to say that you're just focused on women. And that is a really niche audience. So I'm really pleased that you're going over to men. And I was like, you do realise it's half,
0: half. Yeah. the population.
1: Literally yeah. half. <laughs> so, and actually, women have an incredible spending power. Absolutely, so, I was going to say. Yeah. They spend more on health. They have a huge amount of spending power. Anyway, so that was... That was one, one area that was shopping. So they said we either a niche audience. And when are we focusing on men? Or we'd be having really silly conversations where they just want to talk to us about porn and be like, tell us about porn. How is it exciting? How is it arousing? Why would you do that? And then you'd finish it by like, you can't invest in porn. Yeah. yeah, we don't have any interest in investing in this. And you're like, why are you wasting my time? Why have I sat here for two hours? when the whole time you're just sitting there mocking me. And the third one was when we were pitching, um, a lover of red lipstick. I just think it makes me feel powerful, I love it. I also really suit a high neck top. So I love to wear a high neck top and red lips. And because of that, I got told that the only reason we got fundraising was because I was provocative and sexual in my pitching with my red lipstick. And that I would get called the blowjob girls.
0: No one can see my face right now, but I I I actually physically feel pain hearing that. It's so embarrassing, but I mean, you have beaten the odds as two female founders who are building an app around sex for women as well, and you've received VC funding. Um, Mm. If you were to give anyone advice about going through that process and learning from mistakes or misconceptions that you had what would you say to them
1: I think the number one thing for me and I've spoken at a couple of founder events and women's business communities is that you've got to get really clear around the source of funding that you need and the type of business that you're wanting to build I think there's this real uh, allure to VC money and people can spend a lot of time and energy trying to tell their story to the as a vc story and pitch it to vcs and that's really time consuming and and very costly to your business if you're doing that So you have to be sure that's the right funding solution for your business and if you are sure that it's the right funding solution for your business and you do want to go on that high growth journey then it's about being really resilient and very targeted so it's getting super clear about which funds why what's their investment thesis, why does that align to your business and who in that fund is going to be the person that's going to champion you and really doing a research and homework on that so i think that we specifically have had to get really Clear on that because of the, yeah, as you just said, we are two, we're an all female founding team, which gets one P of every pound of venture capital, which is disgusting wild. as a metric. Wild. wild. And then we're talking about, we're doing sexual well being, which is a category that's typically been very hard to invest in. Sex is typically had yeah, to be, you know, a, a blacklist on investors. And you've just got a bunch of people who are not very, I'm backpedaling on what I was gonna say there, but are not necessarily sympathetic or well-rounded enough to understand the huge opportunity. So we've had to be very targeted in who we speak to and that served us well. We got a term sheet from the first time we pitched to the term sheet in six minutes and the second time in six weeks from starting to pitch to Money in the Bank. That's how quickly we've converted. And we've done that, I think, by being highly targeted in who we speak to. And so that's what I would would definitely um, recommend people doing rather than just shooting off to all these investors and thinking that they're gonna respond and gonna invest in your business.
0: And and also it's within an investors interest even if they do growth stuff to talk to you because they want to know what's coming around the corner they want to build relationships and when the time comes they can get in there Um, i always say that series a investor is real friendly to all those pre-seed startups but it's never going to go anywhere at least not for kind of two three years Um, exactly yeah that that wastes so much time
1: yeah um yeah i think i did make that mistake a little bit i definitely got pulled into when we launched last year there was definitely a lot of excitement around furley and i think at the beginning i got pulled into a lot of conversations and then quite quickly i was like what am i doing what is the purpose who's actually going to fund us if i'm going to waste if i'm going to spend half an hour of my time i'm not going to waste it with someone that's just doing marketing research yeah. and mapping the space
0: yeah
1: so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but so yeah that would be my big thing one two big things is like understand the type of funding you need and the type of business you want to build and then if that is vc be super clear on who is the investor at your stage what their thesis is and who's going to be your champion and go after them and then be resilient because no one cares about your business like you do so yeah you know be open to that feedback and learn from every single one of those meetings but you're going to get a lot of no's but that doesn't mean your business is crap that just means you're not right for that person and that person doesn't have the vision to see it right now
0: yeah or is not right for you and, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that there's so many no. great businesses out there that did not get vc funding and bam they're still a success like probably more I think yeah. funding sets most businesses up for failure
1: really it's only like yeah. the few that succeed yeah
0: yeah absolutely um one thing that I've been thinking about because obviously Anna's not here is the other side of actually building a business the unsexy stuff is I don't know that co-founding relationship so how do you keep up really good communication you obviously seem like you get on you speak very warmly about her
1: oh i love her she's my she's more than my work
0: wife she's my best
1: friend oh. yeah we've only known each other for. we've only known each other for two years which is two and a half years which is mad we have a coach which has been so essential for us because we've also been Can on like, share so we have individual sessions and then we have together sessions as well oh, i like that I might spend, yeah, spend an hour individually and we work through our own stuff or we work through stuff that's come up with the other person to like frame it and re and then discuss it in a productive way before bringing it back together. Mm-hmm. We were coming at it with like calm and, compassion- and compassionate lens rather than a kind of heated lens. And then I, I so again, get a coach if you can afford it. <laughs> Obviously not everyone can afford it, but having a third party who's objective and help you navigate that relationship is really powerful. And I think that actually it should be something that if you take VC money that they should give you and then well, they should you're get you're say first. yeah I <laughs> think they should block it aside and say here's that money like not this is not part of the round this is additional just to make you guys successful and then what I would say is if you don't know that person and you're starting a new relationship like Anna and I it's do do some projects first before you dive straight into a funny relationship make sure you can actually work together set yourself one-month or two-month project that you want to get off the ground, see how you do it under pressure, see how well you communicate and um, collaborate, and then and then I think look for someone that's complementary to you, not the same as you. Anna and I are, like, so different, so <laughs> different. She's incredibly smart, incredibly thoughtful, very passionate, like, very empathetic, real abstract thinker, like, I could just lose, I could swim around in her mind for days and I'd never get bored and i'm the complete opposite i'm like very kind of feisty mediterranean half english half italian woman quite direct hate process of any kind i'm not very thoughtful i'm a bit of a lone wolf <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> drive towards action we complement each other so so because rather than just getting lost in this mythical wonderful world i pull anna down and rather than just bulldozing through she helps me really be thoughtful and considered in our approach so look for your opposites but share the same values okay
0: yeah and and when you think about hiring how does that like for the rest of your team of six seven now or <laughs>
1: we're actually a team of three and we've just hired so we'll be a team of ten in the next four weeks wow i know no.
0: sure. that's huge um, i know oh i've got so many questions now my brain is just like ping 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 ping, ping. but um <laughs> the, the, the main thing is like how do you if you guys have such a great relationship, how do you look, search for those values in other people? And are you looking for people who are the same as you, different, What are you? what's your team mix?
1: Mm, great question.
0: We've actually spent a lot of time on this
1: and been very considered about it because we scaled the team last year to five of us. And then we actually moved the whole business to LA, scaled down the team, it was just Anna and I from November 2019 and then moved to LA, COVID hit. We moved back Back. from LA, Um, Anna's actually Canadian, so went to, had to go to Canada for the first time in 12 years and is now living in Canada. I had to come back to the UK. So for the first time in our relationship, we were apart and then we had to start building the team up again. And so we decided to go fully distributed. So that means that we do not have an office. We do not have a kind of central location, and so the team will be in Calgary, Canada; LA in the U.S.; Belgium, Antwerp in Belgium, and London in the U.K. So we've got a fully global team yeah. separated by an eight-hour time difference, and we, when we were hiring, we've really readjusted our hiring process for a couple of reasons. One to it's expensive to hire, so the more effort you put into that recruitment process, the better. Yeah. So, and especially being remote, you don't have that interaction in the office. So we've made sure that we um, took our time because of that reason. And then also diversity is incredibly important to us and really thinking about how do we get how do we get that into the team. So trying to remove our unconscious bias as much as possible and put in really good poly- like practices in place in our recruitment process to allow us to do that and so we what we've ended up with is is a team that is yeah fully global a mixture of genders a mixture of sexualities and the one area that we have fallen short on is race and we had a really diverse mix in the final kind of setup but yeah i think it's just it is really challenging and that's not really an excuse but it's something that we've had we spent a lot of time deliberating on and we are really proud of who came through the funnel and where it ended up but they ultimately do just still have to hire the person that's right for the role but i think the big thing is come back to the question sorry kind of diverged there is (laughs) making sure that you actually do spend a lot of that time on the recruitment process because it is really expensive and even when you're an early stage business who were like three people yeah easily just hired friends of friends and built it up like that but We were very considered in the way that we wrote our job descriptions, the way that we conduct every interview so that we had set questions and could score against each one of those questions against every candidate, reference checks, different diverse voices in our interviews, even external advisors. so it wasn't just the core team recruiting for that. And coming back to how do you hire for your values, you have to actually write your values down. And you have to have questions. It is so hard. But then you have to have questions that are linked to those values. Otherwise, what's the point of even writing them down? So it is really hard to get those. And they might evolve, but I think you just start somewhere and start with what you think is there and then look for that. So that's how we've done it. And then in terms of communication and how you do that, when you're fully distributed, and I think this is one of the ways that Anna and I, our relationships work so well, is you just have to be super transparent. So we practice radical transparency, constant communication and documentation. So we our notion, Wiki, is big there's so much information there but we document how every decision is made who's involved in that decision sort of process and thought process that goes behind it as a working asynchronously, everyone can still be included in that
0: yeah Yeah. but it's like when you think about it hiring is and and that role of even people head of people or head of talent it's so often not valued enough but there's so much thought and love and care that should go behind these kind of processes
1: um, Definitely, we've actually hired like an external consultant to help because yeah, I I, we just want to get it right and yeah. we, the, we do have limitations in the team when it comes to that and so getting that expertise in the team is super important and it's just impossible to hire that many people with such a short amount of time I think I do like, two weeks of 15-minute 15, 15 interviews every day wow. which is just insane
0: that <laughs> is, That's a lot, a lot, a lot and I, I'm putting you on the spot here A little bit but um do you manage to feed back to people or is it there's so many people you can't possibly do
1: that? Yeah we do actually yeah and I actually wrote a a little LinkedIn post about this we have taken the time to feedback to everyone in full transparency I have bucketed some people so what I've done is if I'm like these people the reason we're rejecting them is really similar then I'll give them the same feedback but it's incredibly detailed and maybe not every point is relevant to them, but they'll be able to take something away. Mm. And then as we move further down the process, when we say no in a final stage interview, uh, I actually offer up a 10 minute call to offer that feedback. So yes, we give feedback to every single person that's come in and we try and communicate to everyone the whole way along that. I think it's hugely important. And I think especially in COVID times, is actually on the BBC today, they were talking about just the number of job losses and job hunting mm. right now and saying, how demoralizing it is? They send all these applications in, and no one ever even bothers to respond to them to let them know if it's been received, if it's been considered, if it's been rejected. And I just think there are humans at the end of every single one of these applications. Yeah. And even if you think it's a terrible application, someone is trying out there. Yeah, and I did get, get like, better as well. and they want to get better. I did get lost in a um, in a little feedback conversation with one candidate who, bless that person's heart, just thought it was oh. They wrote to me and just said, of course, I've been rejected. I'm totally worthless. No one cares about me. And I was like, oh, my God. And so we went through. I actually spent time with that person going through their whole CV, their whole kind of cover letter and, like, giving very detailed feedback. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, I just have so much empathy for that. So, yeah, I think it's an important thing.
0: Yeah, and we've all been there where we're applying, I think, particularly for like graduate jobs. You apply and sometimes you just don't hear, you don't hear anything and just think, okay, I was so like not valued that they didn't even Mm. bother to acknowledge me. Um, And like
1: some of these people put, some people are just shooting off applications and you can see that and that's like fine. But some people are genuinely passionate about your company and you never know when a role might open up for them or you might want them as a customer or they have an opportunity to leave a review or follow you or whatever. Like Mm. they can continue to be fans of your company.
0: And you should respect them enough. Yeah, as you can tell, I'm quite. Yeah, about that. You're kind of like rebuilding, building the team for the future. So no wonder you are. Yeah. And like one more question about kind of team and like values before I kind of let you go. Which was how much does do you have conversations about your your pleasure or like personal pleasure amongst the team, or is it really not something you, you discuss? Mm,
1: it's a really good question and actually, it's been a learning curve um, and something that we've had to really navigate. So, we did, last year we had a very female heavy team and we did speak about it a lot and we were very close and we were very kind of, it was just like girls hanging out and so we did talk about it and we talk and we spoke openly about the topic. And one of our team members actually found it incredibly challenging and that's actually one of the reasons that they left, wasn't because they felt uncomfortable having those conversations. It wasn't. They didn't. But actually, they felt they were dealing with some of their own traumas around it and coming to work and not having the space to separate work from personal and bringing those issues into into that environment and not knowing this distinction between friend and boss and when we were on and off and having to relive and draw on those experiences. They found that really challenging. Actually, after that, we made like a very deliberate and conscious decision to create boundaries around that. So Anna and I talk openly about it, of course we do, but we would never, we don't now openly discuss personal experiences of pleasure. We talk about them generally if if things come up in the media or if articles are written or, yeah if it's like culturally relevant but we don't draw on like personal experiences of pleasure yeah, anymore there shouldn't be an expectation to expect absolutely not things. no and i think actually like you, you last year there wasn't an expectation and you just fell into it yeah yeah
0: Understood.
1: and that this year we've made a very kind of deliberate thing of that's not really acceptable in this space yeah. especially in the working hours maybe when we do our team retreats and you're in your free time and you want to disclose with one another that's up to you but when yeah not in the working day and it is a really difficult one to navigate and I know that there's, there's been other companies who haven't managed to navigate it very successfully recently female founder companies who have brought that conversation into the workplace and there have been accusations of you know sexual harassment and so it's very yeah. You have to navigate it very, you know, very carefully. But it's also something that we test for in our recruiting process. So we do have a question, which is, how comfortable are you with this topic and talking yeah. about these themes? And if someone is isn't, then <laughs> this probably isn't the space for them yeah. either. Because you also need to be. You might be going on a journey with your own sexuality and not super confident or in a really positive face your own sexuality yet. But you need to fully embrace it and I think we tried to hire a designer a little while ago and they, just this was just contracting and she was like, yeah, I'm in, I really want to do this design work for you. And then two days later she came back and she said, I'm so uncomfortable with this topic, I've been mulling it over for two days, I'm such prude. I just can't do it, I'm really sorry. You need someone that is passionate about this and not yeah. embarrassed by or afraid of the taboo. So
0: mm. yeah, it's a yeah. challenge. Yeah, God, that is a challenge. I never considered that part of it at all. But I suppose it makes sense. It's not the kind of topic that you have to talk about with people that aren't your very, very close friends. Usually, Yeah. So, uh,
1: but some of our best job applications, actually there's one on LinkedIn. Uh, we actually hired this person, but she she doesn't, I've, I've got her consent to share, but what her job application was <laughs> when I pleasure myself, I listen to Frank Ocean and Furley has become my new Frank Ocean. And I like <laughs> love it. <laughs>
0: Wait, being compared to Frank Ocean. I that is high praise. I know. I was like, "Oh, me. Oh, amazing. <laughs> i so good." So, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I wanted to finish with like a few kind of quick-fire questions, um, mm-hmm. if you if you're up for it. Definitely. Um, so Here we go. Let me try and read my writing. Um, <laughs> That is like, that is that is genuinely the biggest barrier to anything via success is, I can't take notes on laptops. I'm really bad at it, so I have to write everything down. And then I'm like, I can't read what this. I Why written? can't I type properly? <laughs> uh, so this is like this is like the eternal. It's like the the struggle with
1: everything. Um, I love it.
0: So, uh, what is the biggest misconception about being a founder?
1: Oh this is supposed to be quick fire. What is the biggest misconception about being a founder, that, especially if you see back founder, that you fully work for yourself and you have total power over your decisions?
0: <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what is your, what's your kind of favorite reading material?
1: So I've actually just got into Greek fantasy, Greek mythology fantasy books. Yeah, an amazing book called Circe. Which I highly recommend. Oh, I yeah. like fantasy anyway. Oh God! Um,
0: that's Cersei with a C. Don't worry.
1: Yeah, Cersei with a C. You can find it and tag it. Gosh, I'm so bad. This is the thing of me. I don't remember names. I don't remember. I'm lucky I remember the name of the book. I don't remember <laughs> song names, song artists, anything like that. But yeah, that's fantasy. I love. If I'm switching off, kind of thing.
0: So is that. So apart from kind of fantasy, how else do you relax? What's your way of chilling?
1: Hmm. I'm a water baby. The thing that makes me really relaxed and brings out my inner child and joy is being in the water and recently it's windsurfing, which I don't get too often but I definitely notice if I've had three hours in the water windsurfing I have no worries for the rest of the day.
0: Do you, did you ever live near water then?
1: Yeah, yeah. So nice. Yeah, grew up near water.
0: Oh, so nice. Um, I know. Uh, so, what entrepreneur do you admire at the moment? Sharmadine Reed. Who doesn't? Everyone
1: that, who doesn't love it. I know it's a cliche. I almost didn't say it, but no, she's she's a friend of mine. She is from the day I met her has been so thoughtful so considerate and true to her values the entire time i've met her she's incredibly open and um really passionate about what she's doing believes to her core Is just so driven and yeah she genuinely cares about the beauty industry and the women that make up that beauty industry and i think there couldn't be you know a better founder for building a business in that space and she does it all whilst having her gorgeous son and totally bosses that with joint custody in a very kind of progressive way of managing that. Yeah, I think she is, she's definitely someone that I learn a lot from on a regular basis.
0: And what is a piece of advice you give out but find very hard to follow yourself? Be
1: on time for meetings. (laughs) (laughs) It's my biggest bugbear. I hate it when people are late for a meeting with me. And I am one to two minutes
0: late to every single
1: meeting I go to. Yes. What can you do? I'm an optimist. (laughs) I'm an optimist.
0: (laughs) Last question: What are you most excited about when it comes to Fairly in the next year?
1: So there's some really exciting things happening in the background, which will lead to us becoming the first evidence-based solution for sexual wellness. And I'm really excited to see how they evolve over the next 12 months because this space deserves it. It deserves a non-pharmaceutical approach, and I'm really excited to be, preferably to be that player.
0: I'm so excited to hear about that you are thinking about doing more stuff with men. We get so many inbound messages from men. Yeah. that's we get so
1: many being like, "Hi, either I'm a feminist and I believe in this. Please create something for me," or porn is like totally destroying my sexuality, please break something for me. Or I wanna be a better partner for my, I wanna be a better person to my oh. partner. So yeah, I think that's tide is changing. I think they are looking for a solution. And I think that erectile dysfunction or sexual difficulties on the rise because of things like performance anxiety and, access to porn and i don't think i don't think young men or, or any man really wants to be hooked to viagra or erectile dysfunction drugs like so who wants to take a fucking pill every time you yeah. want to get it hard if you can have a, a real solution to fixing it so yeah
0: yes because people do need to men need to get out of their heads as well uh, now that kind of vr headsets are more popular there's like a whole thing around vr mm. thing, and mm. i had no idea about this and a friend of mine was saying that her boyfriend got a headset and there's a lot of people building in that space Mm. she was just saying that she's curious to see what it would be like to experience it yeah i can't imagine what that would be like quite kind of disorienting
1: i think that there are incredible benefits to it if we think about our privileges we're both able-bodied if you're disabled and you can actually experience sensation and touch and like fully immerse yourself. If you're disabled, it doesn't mean you don't want pleasure. Of doesn't mean you don't want to have sexual intimacy. And if you can access that through VR, what a phenomenal gift, like incredible. So I think that there's definitely some areas that can be incredibly problematic, but I think the conversation shouldn't be like, we should cancel yeah. VR porn, it should be like, how do we shift the narrative around who this can be useful for and how do we think beyond our privileges when thinking of access to sex
0: and isn't it amazing that actually when we think about porn we think about problem and I had just had not looked at it from that point of view thank you so much for taking all that time to chat with me is there anything you want to plug as well Ooh, download fairly
1: ASAP because we're about to turn on paid so if you get in there before you'll get some free freebies That's That's all I really care about is just get on there and prioritise your sexual wellness. Let us help you.
0: Well, thank you very, very much. Thanks
1: so much for including me and for doing this. It's going to be a great podcast. I'm excited for it to launch.
0: I think I will never have mentioned VC alongside sex as many times. (laughs) Love it!